hello to you all at Canterbury Gardens. Uh, I'm just so sorry that I can't be with you in person today. I was really looking forward to that. But that's the way it is. And we're still going to be opening together God's Word, looking at Psalm 27. So if you want to turn to that, I'll read now from Psalm 27. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me up high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Well, before we think about the psalm together, let's pause uh, in a moment of prayer. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you speak to us uh, in this day. Um, so much trouble, so much uh, that's difficult, so much that's uncertain. But we thank you that your word is a rock. And we thank you that Jesus Christ, our Saviour, is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so now speak your eternal word into our hearts and give us hearts to receive it. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, one thing. If you had to identify one thing that you most desire, what would it be? Uh, parents often say that the, the one thing they just want for their kids is for them to be happy. 
But it begs the question, what, what will make our kids happy when, when parents say that? I mean, are they thinking, so I just want them to have a great education, or I just want them to have good friends, or I just want them to have great opportunities, or I just want them to have material comfort, good possessions. I mean, what's the one thing you want for your kids and for yourself? What is the one thing that you most desire? I think our answer to that often depends on our circumstances. If we're sick, the one thing we really want is health. If we're lonely, we just want a friend. If we're in a broken relationship, we just want it to be healed. If we're worn out, we just want rest. In this psalm, David is surrounded by enemies. Verse 2 speaks of evildoers, adversaries and foes. Verse 5 talks about the day of trouble. Verse 6 speaks of enemies all around me. Verse 12 talks about adversaries again and about false witnesses. So surrounded by trouble and difficulty, what is the one thing that David wants? Well, we read of it in verse 4, and it's kind of surprising, even odd and strange. He says, One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and here it is, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The, the one thing David wants is to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. But what on earth does that mean? And how could that possibly help when he's surrounded by enemies? It doesn't sound very practical, sensible. Maybe it sounds quite escapist. Uh, it's as though... And an army is coming against you and say, oh, I just want to look at the sunset. Why on earth does he say this? Well, I want to explore that with you by asking three questions that are really important for us. First of all, what is the beauty of the Lord? That's the one thing he wants. What is the beauty of the Lord? Secondly, where can we see the beauty of the Lord? And thirdly, why should we gaze at the beauty of the Lord? Well, first of all, what is the beauty of the Lord? When we think of beauty, we usually think of physical beauty. And there's no shortage of physical beauty on offer. If you look at the cover of magazines, they're full of beautiful faces and beautiful places. We love to see beautiful things, eat beautiful food, have beautiful experiences, live in beautiful homes. You might even want to look beautiful. We, we get that kind of beauty. But what does David hope to see by going to the house of the Lord to see his beauty? The house of the Lord for David was the tabernacle the place where believers met with God and worshipped him. The tabernacle itself was beautiful. It was the work of skilled craftsmen. There was all sorts of gold and ornaments. It was 
a, a, a beautiful meeting place. And later that would be replaced by the temple that was even more beautiful. But that's not what David wants to see. No, at the tabernacle, there was the most holy place. And it was the place where God visibly, tangibly displayed his holiness and his glory. It was so holy that only the high priest could go in there and only once a year. But that holiness was right at the heart of God's beauty that David wanted to see. Psalm 96 verse 9 says, Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. So what's so beautiful about holiness? <laughs> it, it's absolute purity. It's the complete moral righteousness and integrity and excellence of God. And that's what David wants to see. Not physical beauty, but moral beauty, spiritual beauty. Although our focus is often on physical beauty, we know that there is such a thing as moral beauty and it really is beautiful. Uh, a few weeks ago, Wendy and I had a, uh, a, an evening in Melbourne and we went up to the city. And so because we we're out in, in the city uh, on, on a Friday night, we thought we'd go out to dinner, you know, somewhere a little bit special. So uh, we're, we're queuing up in Macca's on Swanston Street. And I punched in our order on the touch screen. And then a, a homeless guy came in and he was looking for someone to give him something. And it was one of those awkward moments, people are looking down at their phones and scrolling. But then a, a girl went up to this homeless guy, took him over to the touch screen, punched in an order for him, gave him the ticket. And then she went back and stood at the queue and he joined the queue as well. And my wife nudged me and said, isn't that beautiful? And it was. Mercy, kindness, is a beautiful thing. 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about the inner beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. A, a person may not look beautiful, but they can be a beautiful person. And God is supremely so. Everything about God is beautiful. His love is beautiful love because it's love for the unlovely. And it's love that's untainted, completely pure and noble and selfless. It's beautiful love. His justice is beautiful justice. It's, it's always a beautiful thing when only what is good and right and true is done. His providence is beautiful. By his providence, we mean that, that God so orders and governs all things that nothing happens by chance. Everything is under his fatherly hand and watch. And that, that's a beautiful thing to know as a believer. So you see why David might want to gaze, to 
dwell on and meditate, to see the beauty, the excellence, the love, the justice, the goodness, the kindness of God. He's surrounded by the ugliness of sin. There are enemies, there's grief, there's trouble, there's worry. Sin is ugly. Sin in ourselves is ugly. Sin in other people is ugly. And David doesn't want to see the ugly face of sin. He wants to see the beautiful face of God. Verse 8, your face, Lord, do I seek. But how do we see the beautiful face of God? He's spirit, not flesh. How do we see the beauty of the invisible God? Well, that leads us to our second question. Where can we see the beauty of the Lord? In my opinion, if you want to see beautiful mountains, go to New Zealand. Uh, if you want to eat beautiful food, you might go to a, a classy restaurant. If you want to look beautiful, you might go to a beauty therapist. Uh, if you want to wear beautiful clothes, you might go to a boutique store. Or if you can't afford a boutique store, I mean, try a boutique op shop. There are places we go to find beautiful things. Where do we go to find the beauty of the Lord. Well, two places. First, we go to creation, to the world that God has made. And, and the created world, the natural world around us is beautiful because God is beautiful. It is a display of his beauty. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Right at the start, God created a beautiful world. The sun, the moon and the stars, trees, flowers, animals, mountains, rivers, lakes. He placed Adam and Eve in a garden, not in a detention center. He gave them exotic fruits to eat, not little tablets for nutritional supplements. When he told them to reproduce, he made sexual intimacy pleasurable and delightful. He was showing in all this that he is the God of beauty, the God of pleasure and delight. And he wants us to enjoy the beauty of creation. We should take time just to Enjoy a sunset and enjoy a beautiful tree. It's proverbial, but take time to smell the roses. But as we enjoy creation, we're always to see the fingerprints of the creator. It's not mother nature. It's the artwork of God. If you go to an art gallery, and see an old masterpiece there that's just brilliant. You might want to find out more about the artist. Who, who was he? Where did he live? How did he come to paint like that? And as we enjoy creation, we are to turn our eyes to the creator 
Who is a God who creates like that? So intricate, so beautiful, so diverse. So as you enjoy creation, think about God. You might see in a flower a God who orders all things so beautifully and intricately. You might feel in the warmth of the sun some faint reflection of the warmth of God's love. You might see in the power of the ocean a reminder of his mighty power by which he has overcome sin and death. And that is a beautiful thing. Creation speaks of his beauty. But there is a second way in which we see the beauty of God. It is supremely revealed to us in his son, the Lord Jesus. The beauty of Christ was not in his looks. It says in Isaiah 53 verse 2, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And yet the Gospels show us the most beautiful life ever lived on earth. Now think about some of the Gospel stories. It was a beautiful thing when a leper came to him and said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am. Be clean. And he reaches out and he touches an unclean leper and brings him wholeness and healing. What a beautiful thing for that man. It was beautiful, wasn't it, when he saw a widow drop two small copper coins into the offering box. And Jesus said, I tell you, she has given more than all the rest. Beautiful that he saw the heart of a poor old lady. It was beautiful when he raised the dead, when he healed the sick, when he opened the eyes of the blind. If, if you were one of them, you'd say, this is the most beautiful thing that's ever happened to me. It was beautiful when on the cross he said to a thief hanging next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. In fact, there on the cross we see the most beautiful thing of all. We see the astounding love of a God who came in the flesh, who took our ugliness, our sinfulness on himself, who bore the wrath of God for that and then rose from the dead, triumphant over our sin, victorious over the grave. We see the beauty of the first Easter Sunday morning, an empty tomb and a resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is beautifully good news. And really there's nothing better than knowing that though others may judge you and though you may feel that your sin condemns you, God has declared you righteous, forgiven, pardoned because of the work of Jesus. And he now loves you with an everlasting love. That is a beautiful thing. If you want to see more of the beauty of God, you need to see more the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ 
He is a beautiful saviour. So now we've got answers to two of our three questions. What is the beauty of the Lord? It's the beauty of his holiness. Where do we see the beauty of the Lord? We see it in the world that he has created and we see it most especially in the sun that he has given. And so now thirdly, why should we gaze at the beauty of the Lord? You remember that that's what David wanted to do when surrounded by enemies. But, but why is he drawn to do that? Well, as people made in God's image, we crave beauty. The, the God of beauty has hardwired that into us. That's why we get so obsessed with beautiful things, beautiful people, beautiful places, beautiful homes and gardens. It, it's hardwired into us. But much of the time, we opt for cheap plastic beauty. We scroll endless photos on Facebook or Insta. We watch loads of Netflix shows. We try to find deep joy in our house or in a holiday or in a flat white. And flat is right. You know, coffee and houses and, and, and uh, be beautiful places even cannot satisfy the deep needs of our soul. We were made for God. And our hearts that crave beauty will only be satisfied when they gaze, dwell on, understand, see the beauty of the Lord himself. And David bears testimony to that in the psalm. He finds the Lord like a stronghold, a refuge, a shelter in the day of trouble. Verse 5, he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. Of trouble, And he urges all of us, therefore, to, to seek the Lord, to seek his face. And in verse 14, he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You know, if, if we gaze at the trouble around us, and there's plenty, isn't there, at the moment, with, with lockdowns and uncertainty and financial pressures. If, if we gaze at problems, we will lose heart. If we look at our own sin and failing, we will feel discouraged and guilty and burdened. If we constantly follow beautiful people, chances are we'll feel increasingly ugly and dissatisfied. We need to feed our souls on the beauty of God. Gaze at his beauty. That means not, not just a, a fleeting glance at it, but a long, steady look. It says in that same verse, verse 4, David wants to inquire of him at his temple. And that, that word could be meditate on him, dwell on him. Feed your soul on the beauty of God. And as we do that, a couple of surprising things happen. One is that our hearts are strangely 
quieted. The, the more we dwell on who God is, the, the less we fear and the more hope we have. Our enemies and our troubles seem a, a bit smaller as God seems a bit bigger. That's what David's articulating in the psalm. Despite the trouble, there's an enormous sense of confidence and joy and hope in God. The other surprising thing that happens is that as we gaze on his beauty, we become more beautiful ourselves. That's remarkable. When I look at a beautiful person, I don't become more beautiful. It's a pity, but it doesn't work. But when we gaze at the beauty of the Lord, his beauty starts to be transformative of our lives. His beautiful being and character changes us. And so as we dwell on him, we become a bit more loving, a bit more patient, a bit more pure, a bit more merciful. We're actually changed not so much by working on ourselves, but by looking away from ourselves and seeing the beauty of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And so, friends, I think we have here a beauty package like no other. Uh, you won't get this kind of beauty package at a day spa or a, a beauty clinic. Here's the package and it's absolutely free. A beautiful world created by a beautiful God who's made us to know himself through the giving of a beautiful saviour, so that as we gaze on him, we become more beautiful people ourselves. And you know, in a world where there's so much ugliness, we're constantly on the news, there's distressing stories of violence, there's death, there's sickness, there's lockdown, there's financial hardship, there are mental health problems, let alone broken relationships and maybe people who have it in for you and the, the pain of gossip and slander. In a, in a world where there is so much ugliness, we need more of the beauty of the Lord. And so I want to encourage you to dial down your exposure to fake and plastic beauty and dial up your exposure to true beauty. Give your soul a daily vision of the beauty of the Lord. And the more you see of his beauty, the more you will see everything else in perspective. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you have revealed to us your own beauty. You are a beautiful God, beautiful in love and justice and truth. 
You've displayed your beauty in a beautiful world. And you have given us a beautiful saviour, one who forgives us and restores us and renews us. Help us to fix our eyes on him. And we pray that we may see less of the ugliness of ourself and our world and more of the beauty of Jesus Christ. And as we gaze on that, give us hope, give us joy, give us perspective. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.